Welcome to Best Served Cold, a Bull Millennials podcast, where we drink wine and talk about crime. Presented to you by Tama J and Laura Lees. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Best of Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. What's up? I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura, and sometimes I like to sit in a dark room and cry while listening to Taylor Swift. (laughs) Holy shit. Well, and uh, and I'm Timer J. The J stands for Just Jack. Just Jack. Just Jack. Just, is that going to be your thing each week? You're going to come up with a, the yeah. J stands for? Yeah, I have about like 50 of them so far. And that was okay. kind of like, that was the easiest one. So I kind of want to ease in with it. And then the next consecutive weeks will be slowly and more progressively better. Well, I put a lot of thought into mine. So I would appreciate some creativity. Thank By you. By a lot of thought, did you do you mean no thought at all? Well, no, because that was just what I did last night. Right. But uh, welcome to the show. We had a freaking massive surge in downloads and listeners for last week's episode. And by massive, I mean like seven times our normal downloads. So if you're new to the show, hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us. Very happy to have you all along for the ride. Mm. We hope you enjoy our sultry Australian accents uh, because it seems like a lot of the people who are listening are... Folks from abroad. From America, yeah. From the States. I have had a few people say they like our accents. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, our accents are pretty sweet, I've got to say. There's, just... a, there's a reason why so many Hollywood actors can't replicate it. It's, just, it's a very It is unique... a very... I feel like it's very unique as well to Americans because our R's are so different. Yeah, totally. Like, that's the, that's the, the hard thing. I'll let you in on a secret, Americans. Uh, we don't call them shrimp. We call them prawns. Mm. So shrimp on the barbie is... And I don't know anyone that cooks prawns on barbecue no, either. No, that's a fucking disgusting thing. And if you do that, you, you deserve to be them. kicked out of Australia. They just get so overcooked if you... Anyway, we didn't... This is not the Australian podcast. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. We should rename this I digress. I think that's the first time we've ever used that on the show. So I don't know why on earth we would rename it that, but sure. Well, because it's fitting for our show. Is it? I guess so. Is it really? Uh, Once again, we digress. <laughs> but I digress. How's your week been, Tama? Dude, it's been really good. Um, I've actually had a pretty sweet week. Um, I've been kind of, as I told you, I was, I've been kind of like just trying to take it easy. We've been getting back into the gym a bit more extensively. I feel like I'm finally getting into the, into like a groove with working out and you know eating. just in time for them to impose more lockdowns on gyms. Yeah, but um. But along with that, I think I've finally gotten to a, a point where I'm relaxed down a bit enough so I can start really hammering out some creative stuff. So I've got a few songs on the pipeline that I'm really working on at like right now um, that I'm in the zone for. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. What about you, dog? My week's been pretty good. I feel like I've had a very like creative week. Like if you're listening to this and you're someone who is works in the creative field or is just someone who does it as a hobby, you'd know that it kind of comes in like it's not really a constant thing. No. kind of comes in waves and you do have weeks where you're just kind of not feeling it. So it was nice to kind of have a week where it felt like it was very much all coming from kind of like a place of flow. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. No one really notices like the the process behind it because it's such a on again, off again thing. Like you can sit down and force yourself to try and create, but it's just uh, never going to happen. It's just so difficult to... To muster that, 
it has to come to you. Yeah, for sure. But uh, no, uh, my week's been pretty good, just like busy. I feel like all my weeks are busy now. I work full-time, I do uni full-time, I have the graphic design stuff, I do this podcast. I don't know, just busy girl, overachiever. Busy gal. Busy gal. But I am, I will say, I saw this um, video during the week. It was like a YouTube video. You know those forensic ones where they have like, oh, a language expert reviews, blah, blah, oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So it was like a language expert reviews, it was like five or six, uh, like, I can't think of what the word is, like annoyances people have when it comes to like language gripes? and how other oh, people okay. speak. Yeah. And apparently vocal fry which I have a lot of, it's just how I speak, mm-hmm. can come across as making people sound like they're stupid, especially women. What? Wait, like, what? Really? Yeah. Like apparently vocal, vocal fry. fry in women can, can like psychologically can be perceived as like that person is of lower intelligence. So huh. now I'm very self-conscious about my, it's just how I speak. That's, that's very strange. But he was explaining, it's actually quite interesting, he was explaining that vocal fry is basically when you are lowered down and speaking uh, softer, your vocal cords vibrate slower so you can hear the individual fries. Yeah. You, whereas when you're speaking up high really fast, you can't hear the vocal fry because it's just your vocal cords are vibrating so quickly. But that's just me. I'm not a peppy person. I just yeah. <laughs> exist in a kind of mellow state. That's really interesting. <laughs> Funny because vocal fry is also a technique in um, singing, like vo- vo- vocalizing. But yeah, now I'm very self-conscious because I just constantly... Talk. It's not that I'm like bored or anything. It's just it's how I talk. Like So now I'm a bit self-conscious. So I apologize if my vocal fry irritates you. We're not or, very smart. <laughs> or if you think I'm not very smart because I actually would like to think I'm of at least moderate intelligence. That's interesting. Leave a, leave a comment down uh, on our leave socials. Leave a comment down below. Where are they stupid. leaving a comment? Like on our socials. I yeah. just said it. Yeah. Please don't comment on my voice if it annoys you. I don't want to know. Just stop listening, please. Yeah, let us know I if find Personally, stupid. I find listening to other people, like my favorite murder, which was one of my favorite true crime podcasts, one of the po- one of the posts, one of the, one of the hosts has quite like me, like quite dramatic vocal fry. And I find it soothing to listen to. There's something because it's so like low and relaxed and slow. I find it nice to listen to rather than someone who's like, and up here and all and la 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 la. There's also um, like a, uh, in acting and film, it's like a sexy voice thing. Yeah. Like a husky voice. I'm just character. trying to bring some sensuality to the podcast. Yeah. Please don't punish me for that. <laughs> don't punish me for the beautiful voice <laughs> I have. It's not my fault. I'm so beautiful. Yeah. Not, my, not our fault. We're so talented. Um, should we jump right into should we it? Should we bop? Um, so. Wait, who's going we, first this week? Should well, I? Yeah, you go first because you're continuing first? your uh, your. Oh, yes, yeah, so that makes sense because I went last last time. So last that's episode, kind of like yeah. a continuation. So, um, as you may have guessed from the title, I'm just gonna Boom. shift shift my little microphone. We're doing Jean Benet Ramsey Part Two. Do we? Uh, so last week we covered, or I covered rather the main pieces of like the big DNA evidence and normal evidence. So 
this episode or this portion of the episode will probably not make a lot of sense if you haven't listened to that first part or if you haven't already done your own research and know a lot about the case. So if you haven't listened to part one, I would suggest going and doing that now or going and doing some reading because otherwise a lot of this won't make sense. Yeah, it also just makes more con- more sense in the context. Yeah, so there are sort of like two main theories regarding what happened and then a few different sub-theories that I found interesting. Um, I'm mainly going to touch on the two kind of big ones because like I said last week, this case is just so big and so involved and there's like literally hundreds of Reddit threads that you can just fall into about different information and it's just, we we could do like a 25-part coverage if we wanted to. So if I'm like, missing bits of information or there's something I've forgotten or there's something I've missed. Chances are I haven't missed it. I've just not deemed it important enough to include. Or I have missed it because, you know, we do this for fun. Yeah, and just if you if we have missed it, then uh, write about it on, a, on one of our posts. Yeah, because um, one of the theories I'm going to talk about today, I actually hadn't heard about it until someone on our Facebook page mentioned it. Oh, wow. Awesome. And I was like, oh, I haven't heard that one. So I looked it up and I was like, oh, wow. And it actually turned out to be one of the ones I find the most interesting. So if there's something I've missed. Please tell me because I find this case fascinating and I would love to look it up even if I don't do another episode just for my own interest. It's, yeah, sanity. Uh, yeah. So as I said, if you haven't listened to the first episode, stop now, go back, listen to the, I mean, listen to the whole episode, but mainly listen to the second half if you want this episode to make sense. Um, so I'll sort of briefly, very, very briefly give an overview. So the main pieces of things we talked about last week were the ransom notes, the ransom note rather, which has a lot of weird things about it, including the length, the fact that a lot of handwriting analysis have said that it's a match for Jean Bonnet's mother, Patsy Ramsey. A lot of the language used was really odd. Uh, the 911 phone call, which we sort of went into the, um, psychology of the language used in that and that's really odd in terms of how a mother would be talking and acting um and then there was some like her actual death and then obviously very very little dna evidence that they did use to exonerate the ramses but has been questioned because they did actually do tests that confirmed you can actually pick up dna from the manufacturers of underwear which i didn't know Okay, so I get really out of breath, like I get too excited. And then I'm like, okay, and breathe. Take a breath, darling. You need to remember to speak and breathe at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so the two sort of big main theories are one that Burke Ramsey, her brother who was nine at the time, did it. And then the second is the intruder theory. So I'm going to try and go into as much detail as I can about the two main ones. But, you know, we try and keep these episodes to an hour and a half and there are other ones I want to cover. So there's... No real way to present all the sort of details either because it's not really like a timeline that you can follow. So I've just basically bullet pointed all the interesting things about each theory and I'm, I'm tr- I've tried to put it in a way that makes the most sense. So I'm going to start with Burke because the intruder theory has the most recent updates as of this year. So I'll finish on that one. So there is... A lot, and I mean a lot of people that think her brother did it. Yeah, for sure. Like, 
It, it's one of the most plausible <coughs> theories. Like it, it sounds. It's the one of the most. It's sound the one that theory. makes the most sense when you look at the evidence at face value. Absolutely. But when you start kind of digging into it a bit more, it kind of starts to fall yep. apart at the same. Of course. So. We've established that there was a lot of evidence that could suggest that it was someone in the house that killed John Bonet. You know, the ransom note, the pineapple, the 911 call, um, the fact that there's little to zero signs of forced entry. All of this can kind of potentially point to this. And there's a few different theories behind the theory that Burke did it. A lot of people believe that at some point during the night after they've come home from the Christmas party and the parents have gone to sleep, Burke, because he was nine at the time, so he's fairly autonomous within the house, I guess. Like yeah. He's old enough to get himself a glass of milk or something. So a lot of people think he's gone downstairs after everyone's gone to bed and made himself like a little midnight snack of a bowl of pineapple. Jean Bonnet has woken up, gone downstairs, and as little sisters do she's been pestering him to share his pineapple as a, and I'm sure you can understand like I think you and your sister have the same age gap that Jean Benet and Bert did years. oh they had three years so almost right. but you you remember when you were nine how annoying your little sister yeah, would have been a, I assume. and also growing up in the household we did it was like sharing is a huge thing yeah like so brother sister a lot of people think that she's come downstairs, seen him with the pineapple and pestered him for, and he's gone, no, like, fuck off, it's my pineapple. <laughs> and then out of anger, he's struck her in the head with a flashlight, this big black flashlight, which you can see in the crime scene photos on the kitchen counter next to the bowl of pineapple. Yeah. Uh, so this theory is sort of that the entire death was accidental and he sort of killed her, not meaning to kill her. Um, another theory is that they were playing and it was just entirely accidental. And some believe that it was motivated by potential jealousy. Obviously, being child beauty pageant queen, John Bonet would have taken up a lot of her parents' attention mm -hmm. as well as other people's attention. And some people also believe that Burke may have potentially been sexually abusing John Bonet, and then it eventually led to her murder. But there's like little to no evidence to yeah, support this theory of course um so yeah a lot of people believe that he's either purposely or accidentally murdered her and then potentially sexually abused her or played with the body and then the parents have come downstairs like heard something and come downstairs and then in order to try and protect one child they're thinking you know jean benet is already gone we don't want to lose another child to juvenile detention or have him taken away by social services so they then move her body to the wine cellar add the duct tape and the cords around her wrist and write the ransom note to make it look like a attempted kidnapping or you know a, a murder <sighs> this theory does explain the pineapple bowl as well as the inconsistencies and weird oddities about the ransom note so the actual information that supports this theory is one of the physical pieces of evidence was a rectangular defect on Jean Bonnet's head, which a CBS team documentary argued is the correct shape for the heavy blunt flashlight. However, no DNA evidence is ever found on the flashlight. But as we pointed out in first week's episode, the crime scene, especially the kitchen, was incredibly contaminated. 
because they didn't cord it off. They had friends and family coming over who were traipsing throughout the house, cleaning things in the kitchen. So we can't sort of necessarily use that. Yeah. Burke is also an odd fellow. Very odd guy. Let's just, uh, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. So in his first initial interview with the police, the police seem really struck by how Burke doesn't really seem like overly concerned at all about where his sister is. He doesn't ask where she is, ask what's happened to her. He just doesn't seem to really give a shit. Yeah. But a lot of people say that at this time, Burke is nine and he doesn't actually know JonBenet's dead potentially. So he just thinks she's like playing hide and seek or something. You know what? Kid, like kids don't really understand the gravity of situations like that. Yeah. It's so hard some to... people argue, like, of course he's not concerned. He's got no idea what's going on. He's exactly. nine. Exactly. It's hard to make assumptions off of that. Yeah, of course. Um, on January 8th, 1997, Burke is interviewed by a psychologist, Dr. Susan Bernard. During this interview, there's a few more really odd things. Like Burke is asked to draw a picture of himself and his family. He draws himself, his mum and his dad, but not his sister. Wow. Okay. When the interviewer asks him if he's worried about someone coming back for him, he just kind of laughs it off and he's like, no, I'm good. Like, don't really, doesn't really bother me. Which... The psychologist had noticed is is very odd because that's just not the way that children generally react to something, especially when it's something that occurs in their safe space, like their house. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's very strange. He also at some point made a really odd guess about her being hit over the head with a hammer. When police asked what they thought had happened to Jean Benet, he makes like a hitting motion. Whoa, that's very yeah. weird. Which, again, you could argue that at that point, maybe his parents have been honest with him and told him what's happened, but, you know, you never know. Still, it's very odd behavior. Yeah. There was also an incident two years prior to her death where Burke had hit JonBenet in the head with a golf club. Jesus. Now, a lot of people say it was an accident, but a family friend has said that he believes that he did it out of anger because he was angry at JonBenet and did it on purpose. There's also other incidents which were mentioned by the Ramsey's former housekeeper, Linda Pugh. And this is not just hearsay. This is verified with DNA and uh, physical evidence from the crime scene, which said that Burke used to leave feces around the house, specifically in Jean Bonnet's bed and on the walls around the house. What the fuck? Yeah. So when the crime scene investigators sealed off Jean Bonnet's room, they found a box of lollies that she'd been given for Christmas, which Burke had smeared in feces. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So obviously that could potentially indicate that he clearly has some behavioral issues. There's definitely some sort of jealousy yeah, issue Yeah, that's going not on. a question that he has some issues, no. but it also can sort of side with the fact that he has some really deep-seated hatred or jealousy yeah. or just dark feelings in general about his sister. Another odd thing that, again, if you kind of look at it in the grand scheme of things, could be completely used to like write off. But a few hours after JonBenet's body was found, John Ramsey, her father, called the pilot of his private plane to arrange to fly off to Atlanta with the whole family with an hour of the body being found. Whoa. What the Which fuck? is just like... And that's confirmed. 
Or rather, uh, it's just, it's like... Look, I'm not a full-on investigative journalist. But that's what was written. So, I don't want to say any of this is confirmed. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. In terms of, you know, I haven't spent like six months researching yeah. this. But I would say, yeah, that's been confirmed. Right. From what I could see. That's very fucking sketchy. Yeah. There's also another interesting note that I, f- I found online that someone had kind of commented on this, which again, you, you can use this as support for either case. Someone noted that on the day that police came, so they went to the Christmas party on Christmas and then came home that night and that was the night Jean Bonnet went missing. And then Boxing Day, the 26th, was when they found her body. Someone had commented that Patsy, who was this very glamorous woman, was wearing the same clothes the next day that she had been the night before at the Christmas party. Oh, interesting. Which some people would say, you know, if you wake up in your pajamas and find your daughter's missing, you're not going to pick out an outfit. You throw on the first thing you can find. Yeah, that's a fair point. But other people argue that it could also be a sign that she never went to bed. She was up all night covering up a crime scene. Because when you think about it, like you're in your pajamas, your daughter's been murdered or she's dead. You're not exactly thinking, oh, I'll look nice for the police officers. Yeah, so that's kind of something that you could use to support either side of the story, realistically. Another weird thing, when JonBenet's body was found and brought up from the cellar by John Ramsey, the the detective who was present on the night, um, at some point during the investigation, was quoted as saying that she found the way John carried her up is really odd. So the detective was quoted as basically saying he, like picks her up with his hands like she's facing him and he's got her hands over her. Like, he's basically tossed her over his shoulder, which not the detective delicate. said is not very delicate and just not the way. Like, it's obvious at that point that she's dead. Like, yeah. he just wouldn't carry her in that way. Essentially, there's no empathy or... There's no empathy or it could sort of symbolise that he's trying to distance himself yeah, from this Which, again, thing. can go either way. Yeah, 100%. On. Well, I mean, that's the thing. This case is not solved. Yeah. At the end of the day, all of this is hearsay. And people react differently to everything. 100%. And I guess the last big thing that you have to bring up that have a lot of people convinced that Burke did it is his Dr. Phil interview, which you watched a little bit of after we recorded last week. Yeah, he week's shouldn't episode. have done that interview. That just. <laughs> so, on the 20th anniversary of John Bonnet's death, Burke did one of his only public interviews, and it's so uncomfortable just to watch. Strange. He's so, like, down the line about the fact that he's not killed his sister, hurt his sister, had anything to do with her death, but he's smiling through the whole interview, which, again, People react differently in uncomfortable situations. It's like that whole thing, like some people laugh at funerals yeah, because yeah. they're uncomfortable, but it just does not make him look it's good off-putting at sure. all. Like It's not doing him any favours. Yeah. So all of that combined with the ransom note, the potential further like audio at the end of the 911 call and the fact that there's zero signs of forced entry and that can't be explained away, the fact that there's no signs of forced entry – that has a lot of people convinced that Burke has done it. There are also a few other different theories that John, her father, did it, um, but I didn't really find those ones as convincing or as interesting, so I haven't gone into that one. 
Uh, but yeah, most people believe that then out of love for their son or trying to save face as a you know wealthy white family in an affluent suburb, the parents have covered up for him. Yeah. However, I do have to say, with the DNA evidence that was collected, Burke as well as the rest of the family have been officially exonerated and are not considered suspects by the police anymore. Yeah, which, yeah, which is great officially, but it's hard to rule it out as an as all out as a as an option or or alternative. Yeah, as a theory. So, that's the Burke theory. The Santa theory, which was one I'd never heard of until I started researching for this portion of the episode, and I found this one so interesting. So the Santa theory specifically refers to a man named Bill McReynolds, who played Santa at several of the Ramsey's holiday parties in previous years. So he's been to the house several times. He obviously knows the house well. He was named by the Ramses themselves as someone they considered worth investigation. And people speculate that he was potentially a pedophile who developed an obsession with Jean Benet. Now, keep in mind that this has weight for several different reasons. One, um, it was Christmas. So a little six-year-old girl probably wouldn't have freaked out if Santa Claus came to her room on Christmas night. Mm. Theoretically, you know... The Ramses maintain that they weren't woken up by someone screaming, by any sort of commotion. So you would think an elderly man dressed as Santa Claus walks into a six-year-old's bedroom on Christmas night. It's probably not going to be that difficult to convince her to, oh, little girl, I've got a surprise in the basement for you. Like, yeah. come with me. I'm it, Santa. It's also something she's familiar with because it's she, he's been there several times. Yeah. He's also been quoted as calling Jean Benet his, quote, special friend. Oy. And a vial of glitter that had been gifted to him by Jean Benet on a previous Christmas, he kept it as like a weird trinket, even taking it with him when he had to go in for heart surgery. Uh, uh, it's That's sketchy, but I mean, you know what I mean? Another child who was good. a, quote, special friend to Bill was murdered seven years before Jean Benet. Okay. Now, if you remember the ransom note, it was signed SBTC, which could stand for Santa Bill something something. Right. Interesting. Bill and his wife, Jeanette, also had a nine-year-old daughter who had previously been kidnapped and sexually assaulted and no one was ever arrested for the crime. Th that's way too weird. Yeah. That is a very weird connection. Now, Bill is now deceased. When he died, he... And this next thing is unconfirmed. I will I did read that this is definitely not confirmed. Okay. He asked his wife to sprinkle the vial of glitter Jean Benet had given him in with his ashes. Whoa. Okay. That's fucked up. Yeah. However, many people are pretty quick to point out the fact that Bill had a huge beard. Like, he didn't have the fake Santa beard. He had the Santa beard. And there's not a single shred of his hair evidence that's found on Jean Benet or in the basement or anything. So a lot of people say, how has he managed to, you know, kill and asphyxiate and potentially assault a young girl without leaving a single strand of yeah, hair? Yeah, no DNA whatsoever. Yeah. Uh... So that's the Santa theory. Another theory I find that I could find 
zero evidence to back up, but it's just too weird and interesting to not share. Hit me. Is the Patsy Ramsey multiple personality theory. Ah, yes. So this is a theory um, that I'm only mentioning because I love a good conspiracy theory. Some people believe that Patsy Ramsey, because of the cocktail of drugs she was on because of her cancer treatment, she developed a split personality disorder and one of her personalities has killed John Bonet, which is why she doesn't remember things like feeding her the pineapple or writing the ransom note, but the ransom note matches her handwriting because it's not actually her. Right. And it also explains why there was no signs of forced entry and all that sort of stuff. The old, it wasn't me, it was Patricia. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't Patsy, it was Patricia. <laughs> uh, so the last big theory, which I saved for last because it's the one with the most recent updates, was the intruder theory. So within this theory, there are 77 people who have been listed as potential subjects. Holy shit. So I'm obviously not going to go into all 77 oh of them. God. <laughs> I'm mainly going to focus on one, yeah. who is the big one. So within the intruder theory, there's some people who believe it was like a random intruder because of the broken window in the basement, and then some people who believe it was what they call a friendly intruder, as in someone that they knew. Yeah. So obviously we know that Jean Bonnet did child beauty pageants, and we know that sadly this can be a big lure for child pedophiles. Absolutely, yeah. So a lot of people surmise that Jean Bonnet has caught the eye of someone during a pageant or someone who was involved in the pageant circle, and this person's become sort of obsessed with her. The things that support this theory are the ransom note, which does indicate that it was, you know, it was someone with a personal kind of connection connection or vendetta against the family. Yeah. So as I said, there were 77 sort of narrowed down suspects, but at one point or another, there were actually 140 people who were investigated for the murder. However, no one was officially sort of linked to the crime. There also was an unidentified boot mark in the basement room where Jean Benet was found. Now, some solid sort of statistical evidence to back this up. Only 27% of six-year-old homicides are done by strangers. So statistically, it's indicated that it's done by someone who knew her or was obsessed with her or was at least in her close proximity. Now, an even crazier statistic, there were 38 registered sex offenders living within a three-kilometer radius of the Ramsey home. 38? 38 within a three-kilometer radius. God, that's rough. Especially if there's someone who knows the family as and her as a beauty pageant girl. So just, like, that's... let that sink in. That's rough. 38. God, no wonder no one's fucking been caught, if that's and the theory. for our American friends who don't know what kilometers are, 38 registered sex offenders within a 1.8 mile radius from Oof. the house. Oof. Now that's just... That's too many. That's that's like 38 too many. Yeah, realistically. Uh, but in proximity, still, it is way too it's, fucking many people. Yeah. So one particular man who has recently been in the news for this, was Gary Oliver. He'd previously been arrested for two counts of attempted sexual exploitation of a child and one count of, like, confirmed sexual exploitation of a child. Okay. 
Now, a man called Michael Vale went to high school with Gary and has said that Gary has confessed to the murder of Jean Bonnet in a series of letters which have been sent to him by Gary from prison, Whoa. where he's currently serving a 10-year sentence for possession of child pornography. Holy shit. Allegedly, in the letters to Vale, Gary writes, I never loved anyone like I did Jean Bonnet, and yet I let her slip and her head bashed in half and I watched her die. It was an accident. Please believe me, she was not like the other kids. What the fuck? In another letter, Gary allegedly wrote, Jean Bonnet completely changed me and removed all evil from me. Just one look at her beautiful face, her glowing beautiful skin, and her divine god body. I realized I was wrong to kill other kids, yet by accident, she died and it was my fault. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah. Jesus. So Vaila said that he's believed that Gary's killed Jean Bonnet for the past 22 years, ever since it happened. He received a strange phone call from Gary shortly after the murder where Gary allegedly sobbed on the phone and said that he'd heard a little girl. Vale tried to get more information out of him, but all he could confirm was that Gary was in Boulder, which is where the town John Bonnet lived and was murdered. Yeah. At this time, when she was murdered, Gary lived in close proximity to the home. He was one of the 38 registered sex offenders that lived close to the house. So Vale allegedly told the police immediately and heard nothing back. He called them again three months later, left a message on their tip line and heard nothing back. Now I keep using the word allegedly because as far as I can tell, none of this has officially been verified as fact. Of course. Like the letters can't be verified as truthful. So a few other weird things. Gary attended a candlelight vigil for Jean Bonnet shortly after a murder. When he was arrested on other charges and they searched his home, they also found a photo of Jean Bonnet and a poem he'd written titled Ode to Jean Bonnet and a stun gun. Oh, shit. Mm. Holy fuck. Yep. Police, however, lost interest in Gary when he wasn't a DNA match for the DNA found on the scene. However... As it's routinely discussed, the validity of this DNA evidence it, is yeah, down the shitter. Exactly. So a lot of people are frustrated that they don't really seem more interested in him when they basically... He's confessed. Yeah. And they're going, oh, but you don't match that DNA. Yeah. Like, obviously, you can't charge him with it, but investigate the guy. Yeah. Like, there's something here that you aren't getting. Yeah. So Vale also claims in the letters that Oliver actually confessed to murdering Jean Bonnet when he was arrested on the child pornography charges. However, this is where it gets really interesting. He claims as part of his plea deal, he basically just like pleaded guilty, signed some papers and went to jail. Yeah. There's no such plea on the record. However, there is a heavily redacted affidavit, which I found. It's so weird. So this is the affidavit. I'm going to read it verbatim. Okay. Yeah. Approximately 335 photos that had something to do with redacted. Some were regular photographs of her, likely found online, the affidavit continues. Of those photographs, 19 were images from redacted autopsy, likely from the photographs that had been leaked to the press in years past. There were also many photographs of what appeared to be shrines to redacted. It is unknown where these shrines are located or if they were created by Oliver or not. I observed in the contact section of Oliver's phone, there were many references to redacted. In the video section of the phone, I found several videos that were tributes to redacted as well. 
which the tribute part is very interesting. Yeah. Because you only have tributes to someone who's died. And he has a photo of her that he's written a poem about. Yeah. Therefore, so, a tribute. It's really not that much of a stretch of the imagination to imagine that every word they've used redacted, it's actually Jean Benet's name. So... Vale has officially passed all of these letters and all of this information onto the police. And as of January this year, the police have really only come out and said, yeah, we're aware of the letters. We're aware of his previous confessions. We've previously investigated all of this and there's no new updates on the case. Jesus. Which is just so frustrating. Essentially them saying, because we don't it's fucking like, it's, it, it's him. It's got to be him. All the stars line up. There's, it does. There's nothing there that screams, oh, maybe, maybe. Like, obviously, it's not been proven. And, like, they, they at least acknowledge that they've gotten the letters, right? Yeah, they acknowledge that they've received the letters and they've even acknowledged that they've received Gary's previous confessions. Well, then, fuck, dude, what's, what's, the, what's the deal? Why because are we not investigating this? I get it when you have people who are pathological liars... You can't kind of take their word for things. Like, a lot of serial killers will lie about killing more people than they actually have. Yeah, and cop to shit. But it kind of gets to the point where you're like, why would he lie about that? But even if he is lying about it and you have zero leads, it's worth investigating, is it not? Like, he lived close to the house at the time of the murder. Yeah. He confessed to the murder. The police themselves have confessed that they fucked up the crime scene. <laughs> They've admitted to that. Yeah. They've, like, hand on heart been like, yeah, guys, sorry, we really stuffed that one up. They really did. Why would you not, like... Ah, oh, it just... Oh, it drives me crazy. It is very frustrating. It feels like something we could easily just solve, but, you know, it's decided not, not to. Yeah. Especially when we have things where it's, like, the Golden State Killer was found years after he went inactive. Exactly. And we, we, we can't, like, spare any time to do this, like, minor investigation into a, a child who was murdered and sexually assaulted. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. Um, but, yeah, that that concludes the theory portion Fuck, man. of our Jean Benet Ramsey coverage. That's, that's really crazy. I found the Santa theory one was my... The one where I was the most interested in it. Yeah. But the Gary Oliver one, to me... Makes the most sense. Definitely. I started researching this case being like, oh, the brother did it. A hundred percent. And then the more I researched the intruder theory and um, Gary Oliver specifically, the more I was like, surely it's surely it's him. It was like when you did the Carol Baskin research. It was... Before it, we were like, yeah, that bitch did that, did that shit for sure. But then like we... we you looked into it and we talked about it and it was like, no, oh shit, actually, there's all yeah. this other information that's neglected and never really brought up that makes it seem like it's the other way around. Like it's not- I guess it's because it's one of those theories like the Elisa Lamb. Like you just yeah. get stuck on that ransom note. And you want to connect, you want things to connect. You yeah. want to, you, you want just, to you get this. so stuck on that ransom note. Yeah. It's a, it's a fine line between like- Because if it was Gary Oliver- why the fuck would he sit and write a three-page ransom note for yeah. a child he'd already killed? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I just... I get so stuck on that note. 
I can't get it out of my head. The Santa theory is very interesting considering the, the fact that two other kids died in mm. his life mm-hmm. around the same age as well. Yeah. Um, that's just very really strange. bizarre. But yeah, I I just keep kind of circling back to the ransom note. It just doesn't... I mean, the ransom note just doesn't make sense for any theory no. apart from that one of the family members did it, exactly, which I think yeah. is why so many people get stuck on it because if someone had broken into the house and killed her, she's already dead in the basement. Why write a ransom note? Why leave her body and write a ransom note? And why is the handwriting similar or to akin to Patsy's? It's what? just... I can't get... I think that's why I can't fully accept the intruder theory because the ransom note makes zero sense no matter who the intruder is. Mm. A ransom note only makes sense if it's a kidnapping. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and even if it's being used as a red herring, it doesn't make any sense in the context of you've already done the crime and you want to throw people off by writing a ransom. Like, you're just spending more time at the crime scene. Yeah. The only thing that sort of makes sense is if... There were some other people that said maybe it was an intruder who was genuinely genuinely going to kidnap her. He wrote the note before he went up to her bedroom and then accidentally killed her. Yeah. Like he meant to kidnap her for a ransom, but then accidentally killed her and just ditched the body. Which if it's the last guy you mentioned, it sounds like he, if he did kill her and going off of his confession, didn't mean to kill her. Yeah, but then you also kind of, like they found shards of wood from the paintbrush like inside her vaginal area if it was someone who was going to genuinely kidnap her for ransom and that happened why then sexually assault her like all that like it just nothing fits together yeah it's all all over the place you get rid of that ransom note and you're like gary oliver did it 100 percent, hands down no questions as soon as you start thinking more about that note you're like it just doesn't make sense Mm. it just does not make sense in any of the theories. That connected with the paintbrush and the stun garden and the womb, wounds, the post-mortem position of the body where it's located, it's just all very bizarre. It's all so strange. And, Which is yeah. why people get so obsessed with this case because it's just, you can sit and go back and forth between theories like forever. Yeah. Because you think you look at one side of the coin and you're like, well, it all makes sense that it's Burke. And then you look at another side of the coin and you're like, well, it all makes sense that it's an intruder. But then you've got these two opposite sides that you can't ever seem to like get to line up with each other perfectly. And so it just doesn't make sense. And this is where it falls similar to the Lesser Lamb investigation. Because yeah. you can look at it from one side and say like, one thing and then look at it and there's new evidence that doesn't really make sense. Like, why was she naked? Why were her clothes off? Yeah. Why was the... How did she get in there and was she trapped and, like, yeah. But, yeah, basically I've been, like, tying myself up into little, like, pretzel knots. Just trying to figure it out. The past couple of days, like, like it's my mission. I'm going to use quarantine to solve the Jean <laughs> Benet Ramsey case. Wouldn't that be I amazing? failed miserably. If you did... If like we were the ones to solve a case, can you imagine us it, like uneducated podcast Australian hosts? Australian dickheads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're out. Of, we're not even in the country that it happened in. Maybe that's what they need. They need an outsider perspective. Maybe leave yeah. a task Aussies. Yeah, we can be the Australian Sherlock Holmes. For Haven't you. done a great job so far, but 
you know, I, yeah. I try and get points for trying. Yeah. But yeah, that was, uh, that wraps up, I digress. That wraps up my JonBenet Ramsey coverage. Wow. So you reckon you'll do more coverage on it than a later episode, maybe? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you could talk about it for hours, but it kind of like, it becomes so, there's so many different minute sub theories within the main ones that it kind of, it's still interesting, but there's no way to tell it in this sort of format without it just being like, oh, bullet point A, bullet point B, bullet point C. Like, it's just kind of like too much information and like you just fall down this rabbit hole and it like hurt my brain just trying to do those notes. So, I don't know, maybe. Honestly, I probably potentially want to do Madeleine McCann next because oh, interesting. they had a yeah. huge break in that. They found some buried underground wine cellar on the property of that German uh, pedophile yeah. today. They've been digging it up. So we may have some huge breaks in that in the coming months. We'll just have to see. Isn't it crazy that they're just, like, they're just discovering all this shit now? Yeah. Just adding more to the fire? Yeah, it's mental. All right, well... <laughs> Your turn. Let's progress onwards. So, this week, I will be talking about a pretty notorious theory and uh, potential murder of a young man called Kendrick Johnson, who um, passed away in Georgia, specifically in um, Valdosta, Georgia, sorry, for Americans, for screwing up your... You probably just butchered that. Yeah, I did, for sure. Very sorry, Americans. So, what's interesting about this case is there's been several lawsuits. There's been continuous push and pressure from the family that they're adamant that their son's death was not an accident. The situation happens in, the discovery of his body, everything about it is just very odd and circumstantial and... Once again, it's one of those things where you can kind of connect dots here, but this A, B, C connected together doesn't make sense. And you add D in and then it also yeah. just throws everything off. It's kind of like you can connect A, C, and D, but then B's left out. And so then you can connect A, B, and D, but exactly. C's out. Like there's just always something and that you're like, doesn't How does fit. B fit in yeah. here at all? Those are the ones that drive you fucking mental. Exactly. So um, to give you a little context, so the... The body of a 17-year-old man named Kendrick Johnson was discovered January 11th, 2013. He was found upside down and rolled up in a school gym mat. So, essentially, think of a yoga mat, but it's like a, a really thick gym mat. Well, that was a wrestling mat? Yeah. yeah, and it was rolled up, uh, standing up, essentially. Yeah. The, the, the reason why they think he was found in there is a teacher was saying that a lot of students put their things inside the rolls to like protect their shoes or their bags or whatever. And there was saying that potentially he was reaching in to grab his shoes mm-hmm. and that's when he slipped in. But the family believes this couldn't have been the case. It, there's something about it that just doesn't make sense. So law enforcement within 24 hours of his body being found, they rule Johnson's death as an accident. 
the initial autopsy reveals that Johnson died due to a, quote, positional asphyxia, uh, or potentially he'd suffocated as a result of being st- stuck upside down in an enclosed space for an extended period of time. So essentially, it's um, either he's upside down, the blood's rushed to his head, and he's passed away from there, or there's not enough air. I'm like where he is. low key, a little bit claustrophobic, and it's just, it's just making me want to vomit yeah. just thinking about it. So the sheriff's department is, uh, were adamant that Johnston must have fallen in there by accident, uh, to reaching for the center of the mat, mat for his sneakers, which he'd stored there so he wouldn't have to pay for a locker. So that's where I was kind of going with the, the roll up. However, as I said, Johnson's parents just don't believe this. So, to give you a little backstory on Kendrick, Kendrick Johnson lived with his family in Valdosta, Georgia, and attended Lowndes High School. His friends and family described him as a, a sweet and quiet boy. He was a three-sport athlete and dreamed of one day playing professional football. As I said before, his body was found by students entering the gymnasium, uh, rolled up in a standing gym mat his sneakers were shoved behind his knees but investigators quickly closed the case in the theory that johnson had simply fallen in the mat while reaching for his sneakers so while the mat was in in first unrolled he did have his arm stretched above his head and the other one down by his waist struggling for his shoe so it looks like he's reaching through the mat for his shoe but it his shoes were at his knees. Yes. That's the weird thing about it. His shoes yeah. are located. And if you, I, I would actually ask you to, um, if you are listening at home, like if you want to see the photos, you can see, you don't have, there's no, there are post-mortem um, photos of his body. I, you don't have to look at that, but there are photos of the roll and his feet and the shoes. Um, and you can see the shoes in the roll behind his knees and sort of above his calves. So that it's just strange. So investigators think he just had fallen in. Um, and this once they unrolled him, he, his arm was stretched up above his head, basically sort of behind his head a little bit. And his other arm was stretched down around his waist so he was in just his socks and the shoes were behind his his knees. Students also told police that it was common for them to leave their belongings in the mats if they didn't want to pay for a locker. And the mat in which Johnson was found in was around six feet tall. When rolled up, the mat left about a 14-inch hole in diameter in the center. Johnson's shoulders measured 19 inches across and he was five feet tall, 10 inches tall. Now, it's possible that if Kendrick was trying to squeeze into the center of the mat, he could have scrunched his shoulders together to make himself narrower. However, his parents maintain that his size versus the size of the mat alone is enough to debunk the investigator's case. So, and this is the real sad and disturbing part. About a full day went past until Johnson's body was discovered. And he was discovered upside down... Blood was rushed to his head and eventually um, he would have begun to bleed from his facial orifices, which you can see in the um, in the photos. His, his face is rather bloated. In this one mystery, though, the 
black and white gym shoes that lay on the ground below Kendrick Johnson, the one he was presumably reaching for, was lying on top of a pool of blood, but there was no blood on the shoes themselves. That's not possible. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's, what? It's bizarre. I'll repeat that again. The black and white gym shoes that lay on the ground below Kendrick Johnson, the ones he was presumably reaching for, was lying on top of a pool of blood, but there was no blood on the shoes themselves. Do they think he... Oh, no, that makes no sense. Exactly. So just uh, la- save the thinking for later because okay. it, it's all f- <laughs> bizarre. A hoodie and a pair of orange and black gym shoes were found lying on the floor of the gym, as well as traces of blood on the wall nearby. Oh. Investigators tested the blood, which revealed that it did not belong to Kendrick. Who did it belong to? They reported that the blood had likely been there for a long time. Likely or like definitely? Because I feel like when likely. it comes to stuff like that, you don't want to be using no word likely. It needs well, to be like a yes or a no. Son. That's the word they used was likely. Oh, we love <laughs> things that are well investigated. And here's the fucking kick in the guts. Investigators did not take the hoodie and orange and black gym shoes into evidence. Wait, so do they not actually know if they... Were they not Kendrick's? They don't they know. Don't they, know. Didn't, they didn't take it into evidence. What the it's fuck, It's probably man? discarded. Right? What, because they just ruled it as an accident? And went, yeah, they oh, thought, ah, oh, it was an accident. Fuck wow. it. Wow. Okay. So, I didn't mention it before, because I don't really want to make it all... I mean, we might as well mention it, but... Um, it, it's highly suspected that this the foul play that it comes into question with this case is due to Kendrick's race. So Kendrick Johnson is an African American male in a predominantly racist area of America. Not to shit on Georgia, but there are some pretty predominant issues. Georgia in the South? I, I don't think. know. I don't I, my my knowledge of the US states is yeah. so limited. So not to say that all of America has, you know, no issues or issues, but all of America has a pretty bad issue with racism. It, yeah. Pretty much everywhere it does. But Georgia has its fair share of racism, especially in this area. So that's why people, and especially the parents, believe that this is some sort of yeah, a cover-up right, or a, a rush job, yeah. essentially. Even if it wasn't a murder, the the circumstances around the death are just so bizarre. Well, it sounds like even if it, even if it was a horrible accident, it really doesn't sound like they've done their due diligence in no. investigating it. No. Sorry, I'm just angry now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Johnson's parents believe that the Sheriff's Department were too, were, were too quick to rule out foul play as a cause for Johnson's death, considering that within 24 hours of finding his body, they concluded that it was an accident. The Johnsons are also sure that their son's body had been moved, which was corroborated by Lowndes County Coroner Bill Watson. Now, Georgia state law dictates that the coroner needs to be contacted immediately on the discovery of a body. However, Watson claimed he was not notified until six hours later. Oh, okay. Furthering on this, Johnson's parents argued that if this was an accident, how could no one have heard Kendrick calling for help in a high school of over 3,000 students? Yeah. Which is a fair point. Because, like, surely if he was going for his shoes, it would have been, like, at the end of the practice when people weren't that... Far out, man. So Kendrick Johnson was uh, he was he was a African American man in the Lowndes uh, 
county area and the sheriff and his his um investigators in the area were all white males mm. so as i said before in 2013 in valdosta georgia racism is very much a present thing so it's not something you can just rule out yeah instantly. for sure yeah the family's attorney, um, Shaveen King, which, sorry if I butchered that name again, um, expressed that if Kendrick had been white, this case would have been handled very differently. Kendrick's parents released a photo to the media of their son's face as he lay in the funeral home. The photo in which Kendrick's face is extremely swollen almost doesn't look human, which I think you've... Yeah, I just, I just looked it up. It's not nice. Don't it's, look it up. No, it's very... It, it's dehumanizing the it's what happened awful, to him. It's awful. Like- the public was obviously horrified by viewing this photo and they it began to rally around the Johnsons in their quest for the truth. And on uh, May 8th, 2013, a judge granted Kendrick Johnson's body to be exhumed. A private pathologist was hired to carry out a second autopsy. This time around, the autopsy revealed that Kendrick had suffered hemorrhage on the right side of his neck, which meant he likely died from blunt force trauma. The same pathologist concluded his death was not an accident. On top of this, the second autopsy revealed that some of Johnson's organs were missing and in their place, his body had been stuffed with newspaper. Right? Does, doesn't your family have to be, like, consulted for things like that? Like, I don't think they can just take your organs out and... No, the they fuck? can't. They absolutely cannot. So the Georgia Bureau of, of Investigations, the GBI, claimed that when the body was sent to the funeral home after the first autopsy, Johnson's organs had been put back inside the body. However, the coroner said these organs were not sent to the funeral home because they were too decomposed and were instead disposed of beforehand. But again, wouldn't you have to have the family's permission exactly, for that? Exactly, yeah. I mean, I, I I, don't know. I honestly don't know anything about what happens when or you Or at die, least be like... notified that your fucking son's been stuck with newspaper. Yeah, that's fucked up. Because you can't just... Like, your organs can't be donated to someone else without either no. your written permission or your family's permission. So how do they just, what, like, toss it in a medical waste dumpster? That's weird. Very strange. So the coroner said these organs were not sent to the funeral home, as I said. The funeral home said that it received the body without organs, which it replaced with paper or sawdust, as is common practice while embalming. Well, that part makes sense, because you would need something to... This is horrible, but you'd need something to pop out for an open casket, otherwise it would deflate. Now, the Johnsons did try to sue the funeral home for mishandling their son's body. And... Perhaps doing, having done so in order to cover up his true cause of death, but this case was soon dropped, and this will be a recurring theme, unfortunately, for the Johnsons. Regardless, the organs were lost, and they could not be tested during the second autopsy, which further aroused suspicions in the John's parent, Johnson's parents that this was a cover-up. Of course. 100%. You'd be, you'd be almost sold if you were the parents. And as a result of this new evidence, Matthew Moore, the U.S. attorney for the Middle District of Georgia, announced a formal review of the case. The Johnsons hoped for a coroner's inquest which would begin to process the reclassifying of the cause of Kendrick's death as non-accidental and reopening the investigation. However, this unfortunately was denied, and even though 
Coroner Bill Watson had originally expressed a lack of confidence in the sheriff's department handling the case, nothing was ever pressed forward. So after gaining access to the school security's footage, CNN had a look through it on the day that Kendrick was killed. But upon viewing, they realized it offered very little insight into what happened on that day. Mm. But this doesn't rule out anything because the cameras which had faced the mats were unfocused and skipped around. All that could be seen from the cameras was Kendrick Johnson walking towards the gym and then several seconds of, of footage of him jogging within the gym. He was never shown within or leaving the gym and indeed, he never did show up for his classes. And to add on to this, a whole hour of footage from the gym was missing right at the time which would have shed light on what happened. Of course it was. Right? <laughs> like, the one hour you could have definitively ruled a, a, a judgment on is like, fucking missing. That is either the world's cruelest coincidence yeah. or it's a cover-up. That has to mean something. It's a cover- it has to be. It's a cover-up. Yeah. It has to be. So then in 2014, a year later, Kendrick Johnson's parents filed a wrongful death suit against the school's officials, alleging that Johnson had been harassed by a white student, which went neglected by the school due to his race. Now, there's a website called ebony.com, which describes the murder of Johnson to have been at the hands of two white brothers, though they didn't disclose their names. However, the description of these two boys and these two these two brothers, sorry, resembles that of Brian and Brandon Bell, who the magazine claimed had killed Kendrick because of a fight they had over a year earlier, which had escalated. The Johnsons also accused the brother's father, who is an FBI agent at the time, of covering up the murder by manipulating the school and authorities involved in investigating Johnson's death. A year later, again, in 2015, the Johnsons filed a $100 million civil lawsuit against 38 people. Let me guess, it was dropped? Including three of their son's classmates, the school, the local crime lab, state and federal officials, five agents of the GBI, an FBI agent, and several more. The parents asserted that the sons of the FBI agent killed Johnson and used their connections to cover up the investigation. Johnson's father, however, admitted that he had no hard evidence to back up any of these claims and the Johnsons were forced to drop the suit. To add on to this, they were sued for more than $850,000 in attorney fees and more than $1 million in defamation charges. I'm so angry right now. They were ultimately ordered by a judge to pay close to $300,000 <gasps> worth of lawyer's fees to Is those that a joke? they had accused of no evidence. And it's not a joke. I'm so angry. Yeah. Even if they, like, they were wrong to do so. That's fucked up. They're the fucking parents, man. Yeah, that's really fucked up. Like, even if... And even if he he is an accident, there's still been mishandled. The parents want answers. It's still been mishandled profusely. How can you punish them for wanting answers? That's... I'm so angry. Like, it's so obvious that it's been... Ruled over way too quickly. Even if it is an accident, like twenty four hours is just way too quick to rule this off. As with all the circumstances, it's just too bizarre. Okay, so we're gonna go jump another year again to into June two thousand sixteen. Okay, the Department of Justice announces that no charges will be filed against anyone in relation to Kendrick Johnson's death, considering there was an insufficient evidence to support federal criminal charges. 
So as far as the federal the the federal government was concerned, the case was officially and finally closed. However, two years later, in June 2018, Kendrick Johnson's body was once again exhumed for a second time for a third autopsy. The findings of the second autopsy that Johnson's death was not accidental and caused by blunt force trauma likely due to being struck in the neck with a 45-pound dumbbell were confirmed. Right. Kendrick Johnson's parents hope that with the result of this third autopsy, the surveillance footage missing, which they convinced was had been tampered with, and the mishandling of evidence at the scene would be enough to reopen their son's case. Which all makes sense. There well, are things not being taken into evidence. There's missing footage. Two different experts in their field have concluded that one thing has happened. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, just it's keep, just just keep going. As of May 2019, the family has f- filed another suit against the funeral home, and in January this year, Kendrick Johnson's family filed a new lawsuit against ten defendants, and the defendants want the state court to dismiss them from this from that court case. Again, in June of this year, 2020. Lawyers from Lowndes County School Superintendent Wesley Taylor and the county school district filed a motion to dismiss. They asked the Middle District of Georgia to drop them from the new lawsuit. Kenneth and Jacqueline Johnson, who are the parents, filed over the death of their son. Lawyers for... um, Yeah, sorry, I'll just repeat myself. Here's where I wanted to get into the, the theory. So, the theory is that because... Brandon and or Brian Bell, who were the two white boys who they believe were responsible for Kendrick's murder, or death, rather. They believe that due to a dispute between one of the brothers and Kendrick a year before this happened, and this is a theory that the father proposed, that he somehow murdered his son. Yeah. And covered up the the death, try to make it look like an accident, maybe, perhaps. And then his father, who Rick Bell, who's an FBI agent, covered it up somehow. The only th- issue with this theory is well, there's several issues with the, with the theory. Um, not to dis- not to discredit the fact that it's a potential murder. I 100% believe that it's a strong possibility that there's a there's foul play being played here. Yeah. There's so much evidence to pr- to prove so. Yeah. And there's so many weird circumstances to, to say so. Um, however, I just wanted to go into a bit into what has been proven in, in the terms of this one conspiracy. Because again, like your story with John Bonet, there's so many different conspiracies. Yeah. And this is kind of the main one. So, again, just to reiterate, this claim is about how Brandon and or Brian Bell murdered Kendrick and rolled his body up into the mat. So, as I said before, they are both the sons of an FBI agent named Rick Bell. So, due to one, one, of, the, one of the brothers having an altercation with Kendrick, Kenneth Johnson, Kendrick's father, believes that um, they are responsible. And though the fight did happen, it's important to remember that it happened over a year previous to Kendrick's death. So Brian Bell and Kendrick, who were actually friends for several years, got into a scuffle while they were being bussed to a football game. And according to several friends and classmates, the two reconciled shortly afterwards and voluntarily worked together on a science project together. 
at the time of Kendrick's death, surveillance video and a teacher and all of Brian's classmates place Brian in a classroom nowhere near where Kendrick Johnson passed away. At the time of Kendrick's death, Brandon Bell was on his way to Macon, Georgia, with his wrestling team to attend a tournament. In November 2014, Johnson's attorney's attorney, sorry, Shivane King, claimed to have found a travel log that detailed the wrestling bus leaving at 4 p.m., not the previously stated 12.30 p.m. Oh, that's a massive time difference. Yeah, absolutely. So, that's one theory. However, King was suggesting that an entire wrestling team, coaches, a bus driver, parents of the wrestlers, school administration, and the dozen or so teachers who, who excused the wrestling students from classes all falsified an alibi for Brandon Bell. That, which, yeah, you know. Yeah. They, well, and, yeah, you never know, but yeah. the FBI, man. He also, uh, he also theorized that this was all orchestrated by Rick Bell, the FBI agent. The log, the log King is referencing to isn't actually a travel log, but it's a trip request filled out by a wrestling coach weeks before that January 11th. Right. The okay. 4 p.m. written isn't the same time the bus was scheduled to leave, but the time the event was scheduled to start. Right. So when the trip request was written, the coach didn't know what time he was, the bus was to leave, as he had yet to speak with the bus driver. And just like as it was written on the trip request, the wrestling tournament in Macon began at 4 p.m. Brandon right. Bell attended and has an alibi from teammates, coaches, the bus driver, wrestling parents, etc., etc., etc. The Bell household was subject to early morning raid where the brothers' phones, laptops, and cameras seized. And this is important to note as well. Police could find no evidence that they had anything to do with Kendrick's death, but the damage to their reputation still holds, mm. obviously. Uh, a supporter of the Johnsons got in touch with Florida State University and they withdrew their offer to a football scholarship to Brian Bell. A judge later ordered the Johnsons to pay the Lip Bell's legal fees, totaling nearly $300,000, as I mentioned before. So, meanwhile, the SCLC and the NAACP had been conducting their investigations while both organizations had originally supported the Johnsons' theory that Kendrick's death was suspicious. They, the more they investigated, the more they realized that there was no evidence to the contrary in reference to the Bell brothers. Mm. But, you know... That's, here's the thing. It's fucking weird. But you're ruling out... You're also... You're only ruling out... Two suspects. Two people. What, how many kids did you say at school had? 3,000? 3,000. It only takes one racist dickhead... Absolutely, yeah. ...to, like, hit him over the head with a dumbbell. Like, what's going on with the with the, the blood and the, the shoes that aren't his? Well, more importantly, what's going on with the two coroner's reports? Exactly, yeah. That there's blunt like, force trauma. So that's they're... not some like random person on the internet. No. That's two people who have studied at college for years yeah. who know what the fuck they're talking about. So it is worth noting, though, I, I apologize because I can't remember if it was the second autopsy or the third autopsy, but one of them, or maybe both, I think, were hired... The patho- I think there was a pathologist, sorry, was hired by the attorney for the family. Right. And he has a prior connection to the to the pathologist. But that's not to say that they're falsifying a fucking coroner's report. Yeah. You know, it, it's possible they might have. But, I mean, that's not to say just because the family and the 
it's only hires a specific person that they feel can best represent their their needs and what they want to find through the investigation of their son's body. Yeah. I mean, if anything, it just kind of shows that they want a fair assessment of what's happened here with their son. Yeah. That's messed up. <clears throat> I had something to point out at the start and now I've forgotten what it was. Okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my question was, like, I understand the whole concept of not wanting to hire a locker, but why would you... I don't understand if these... How high did you say the mats were? A metre and a half high. So, six feet tall. Six feet tall. Why would you toss your things in the middle of it? That doesn't really make sense to me. I'm not too sure. I think maybe it was like they're they're um they're they're lying down flat at some point maybe or um you, you know six feet tall is like tall but it's not that realistically tall if but you're exactly six feet tall is not that tall so it makes much more sense that you would tip the mat on its side to get the stuff out rather than trying to squeeze through a hole do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they made the point of being like his shoulders were too wide. He could have scrunched his shoulders. He wouldn't have, you wouldn't do that. Like no human being would do that. If the mats are only six feet tall, you'd tip the mat up yeah, on its side and I grab your stuff point. from underneath. No one would dive in head do you first know what I mean? to an upright like, mat. <clears throat> sure, if it was a big hole and you could see that you could easily fit in there. But I don't think any kid would try and squeeze themselves into a hole when we're not talking about something that's six meters tall. It's six foot. Yeah. You could put your hand on the top, pull it like a like a lever. Do you know what I mean? And the diameter of the hole that he was supposedly squeezing into was much smaller than his his shoulder uh, his shoulder width. I also find it hard to believe that if the mats were only six foot, he wouldn't have been able to, like, I don't know, tip it or something that's, once he was stuck that's inside That's the thing. It. It's so odd. It's yeah. very, very odd. The the blood <clears throat> under the shoe is what gets yeah. me. And not belonging to him. It's like, Wait, <laughs> what? Yeah, the blood didn't belong to him. They, you did, they did not say I that. Did, I did. I no, did. you said the blood on the wall. No, I said the blood, period, did the not belong to him. The pool of blood. Yeah. They tested it and it wasn't him. I'd said that. No, you said the blood on the wall wasn't his. The no. pool of blood under his shoe was not his. I'm pretty sure I said that. Wow. That's... And they didn't test it. They weren't concerned about the pool of blood. Then they tested it the and it wasn't, it wasn't him. No, but like they didn't investigate it further. No. They weren't concerned about the pool of blood. No. So they, test, they tested both the pool of blood and the blood on the wall. And neither of them were his. No. And that didn't, like, no alarm bells no alarm bells. because of that. But here's the thing. The, the fucking shoes and the hoodie next to found next to his body weren't even taken into evidence either. That's... I'm sorry. No. But that's, I'm that's sorry. That's why it's no. so fucking weird. That just... Makes no sense. So you're saying a kid has dove headfirst into a hole that's clearly... Too small for him. Yeah. Theorizing off what where the shoes were, he's dove both hands in. One hand in, one hand up above his head. Well, no, because the way the shoes were found would summarize that he's gone both hands in and then one hand's come up 
and bought the shoes up with right. him. Right, yeah, yeah, sorry. You're you right. would not do that. You would not... All your natural instincts would... Okay, so I grew up horse riding, right? And in this barn that we used to like go to, they had these massive stacks of hay bales. And sometimes we would... Like the hay bales would meet up perfectly and there'd like be little mazes that you could crawl through. You could not pay me money to dive both hands into <laughs> one of the holes in the tops of those hay bales. Yeah. Not a chance. Like, but they I'm did sorry, say that did not happen. They did say that they did use them. Like students did use them in, in lieu of using a locker. I don't, I don't not believe that. I don't believe for a second that if you were to retrieve them, that's how you do it. Yeah. Especially because, because I had very briefly read about this story and I actually said like, oh, you should look into this one for one of the stories you do because I'd very, very briefly t- read about it. I had assumed when I read about it, the mats were like 12 foot Ridiculously high. Ridiculously tall, yeah. Like, that's what I had assumed. You wouldn't, you would not, there'd be no reason for yeah. you to dive in. you just move the mat. And he was 5'10 and they're 6 feet tall. So he could have easily put his hand on the top of the mat, lifted it like a lever, and got his stuff. Like, it makes no sense that he would have tried yeah. to go in head I think first. the only thing with that is that it's a relatively heavy mat. Like, it's a it's a floor mat. Yeah, but it's only like, they're not that fat in the photos. Like, yeah. They don't look that heavy. But, I don't buy that for a second. No, I mean, there's there's something odd there, and I feel very fucking bad for the parents, too. Um, that's, yeah, that's awful. Even if the argument can be said that they're wrongfully accusing people that have nothing to do with it, sure, that can, that's an argument. But, but, I mean, their fucking son died and they just want to find out what the fuck happened to him. And it's quite clear that it's more than just a, a natural, a, a circumstance where he's accidentally killed himself. It's quite clear that there's something more to it. And they at least just want someone to look into it rather than just rule it out as an accident within 24 hours. Yeah. That's too quick to rule something that strange. That's far too quick. Exactly. That's nuts. Like I said, like I said, we're we're not investigators or we're not fucking like, you know, we're not forensic analysis. Um, You know, we don't, we're not experts in any of these kind of fields, but from the layman's side of things, this just seems very fucking rushed. Yep. That was a, um, that was heavy. Yeah, it is. And I, yeah, like I said, I just feel bad for the parents and it was such a fucking poor circumstance. The kid was a, a, a three sport athlete and was looking to get a, a football scholarship. Yeah. And, oh, you know, so sad. even, I, I really hope his parents, like, find get, some sort yeah, of closure. Yeah. Even even if it is ruled as an accident and there's the definitive, you know, evidence to say so. Yeah. At least that's at something. At least then they know. Exactly. Although I don't believe for a second it was no, an accident. But I think all I want for them is just to, to have that closure. I think this is one of the only episodes I've nearly cried. Yeah. Looking at the photos, it, oh, it's it's a lot. It's mm, really it's fucking sad. sad. He's a Ooh. young high school kid, you know, and you can yeah. see it on his face. He's just a young, young boy who just, yeah. you know, he's got a little baby face. He did, yeah. I just feel very fucking bad mm. for him. 
Wow. Well, that was a super sad. Yeah. I think also because it's on. such a. It's not that it's recent. It was seven years ago, but it was. It's a more well, yeah, recent. Yeah, compared to some of the ones we talked exactly, about. Exactly. It's, very it's within the 2010s. Yeah. So I think just the sheer, like, timing of it and the proximity from, you know, us recording this episode from it ha- happening is just hits heavier. Um, yeah. Wow. That was. Um, <clears throat> That was that was very full on. Yeah. Um. Well, well yeah. not to not to like take away from the stories, but we always try and end these shows on a relatively somewhat happy note. As so much what as was, you can. What was your good thing from this week, Tama? Uh. Well, today actually we made meatball subs for dinner, uh, and that was a lot of fun. I actually haven't made meatball subs ever in my life, and it it was a. It was um, a lot of fun to do, and it I got got to say it tasted pretty good. I don't know what yeah, you think. Yeah, they were very good. That was um, my big takeaway from today. You know, uh, apart from that, same old. Nothing else from the week to re- to report. No, it's been it's been a very chill week for me. It's been um, y- you know, not no real highs, no real lows, just kind of like pretty mellow. Like I said, I've been sort of trying to get my mind right a bit this week. And I feel like I'm kind of probably getting to that stage where I'm starting to get more into my creative swing. So, you know, it's just trying to like find that um find that high in the in the creative field and then kind of ride it, you know. Yeah, nice. Very nice. Um my good thing for this week on a personal note for anyone who d- doesn't know me, which is all of you, uh, I have a very small like mole on my kind of right lower eyelid and I recently found out that it is cancerous and needs to be removed and it's been a bit of a shit show. Like I'm so grateful for our health system. Like our healthcare system is like tip top compared to a lot of people but it's been a bit of a nightmare trying to get that organized and it's finally booked in Mm. i've got my appointment booked in for surgery it's happening next friday and i'm just like it's a bit of a weight off knowing that it's yeah happening and in the works so that was my good news for the week that all got sorted this week it's nice to just have one less thing to worry about in life yeah i just have um one more thing it's my dad's you don't get two things sorry that's it bye oh okay (laughs) sorry dad um, it was my dad's birthday this past Tuesday, which on the the episode time this episode comes out, it's the same week. Happy birthday, Steve-O. And then my mum's birthday the next following week. So my we're celebrating my parents' birthday for a dinner on the day this episode comes out. So whoop, I don't know whoop. if you guys are listening to this. Uh, fucking probably not. But <laughs> Well, don't say that anymore. We had like... Oh, your parents. You my mean. parents, yeah. yeah. Right. Don't, I don't know if they're listening this they might be if they are happy birthday and uh yeah i don't i don't do drugs i don't do drugs at all i don't know why you said that because you don't i don't do drugs so you say that like you're making it sound like you do i'm a good boy you just you're just making it sound like you do drugs and you don't so i don't know i don't know (laughs) saying that are you trying to make yourself sound cooler than you are by like making it seem like you do drugs. I don't need to sound cool. Not that drugs are cool. No, but they are. But I don't. I don't do them. 
Oh my god! <laughs> now everyone who listens to this is going to think you do drugs. Well, maybe I do. Maybe I you don't. You don't. I live with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, look, why coffee... is it that you always find a way to like weirdly railroad these episodes? What do you mean right railroad at the, at the end? What do you mean railroad? You know exactly what I mean. There's don't no such play thing. Innocent. There's no such thing as railroad. There is. We just witnessed it live. <laughs> I bring a certain uh, <sighs> je ne sais quoi certain to the episode. Shit show. That's what you bring. Look, we we've gone past the 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 real important parts where I got to kind of maintain my my tama. Oh dear. Yeah, but by sense. this stage, like eighty percent of people are tuned out. Anyway, by this stage, so. it, it's just all fucking coming out. Okay. In one fell um, swoop. Well, on behalf of Best Served Cold, thanks for joining us again for another. Thirsty Thursday. What? <laughs> I don't know. What the fuck was that? <laughs> I tried to think of something on the spot. And... A th- thirsty Thursday. Uh, Jesus third, Christ! A thirty Thursday. Uh, a th- th- I can't. I, I don't know why I decided to try and come up on the spot. Thanks for listening. I th- we need uh, to wrap this shit up before we make. Even more I think we've both got ourselves. delirious. Thank you for joining us once again. Yeah. Uh, we will see you next Wednesday for our mini-sode because we're going to actually get back on that, yeah. get our butts together and do that. We'll see you on Wednesday um, for the mini-sode. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Instagram. We are YouTube. the we are the BSC podcast on everything. All socials. We have merch that we you do. can buy. Yeah, you can buy stickers and t-shirts and whatnot. I'll leave the link in our show notes. And thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.